0: following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. So we don't get off on our, theolo- theolo- theologically, our theology because you know we're tracking with the biblical holidays. Let me go on record and say this is not a biblical holiday, okay? But it is a great holiday, just like Thanksgiving is not a biblical holiday, but it's a great holiday. We know that necessarily we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, but we are just thankful that He was born and that He came to us. And so any day is a great day to celebrate this. And so traditionally we celebrate it December 25th, and I'm excited to get to celebrate the previous days beforehand with you today, I also like the idea of celebrating Hanukkah because Hanukkah is a biblical concept and so tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. And so you say, well, what is Hanukkah about? Well, Hanukkah is when Israel suffered destruction from the Syrian army, and their temple had been defiled, and uh, they had been ravished as a nation, and all of a sudden, by God's mercy, a few handful of Maccabees were able to overcome an entire army, gain their temple back, gain their nation back. The problem was they only had enough oil to light the lamp in the temple for one day. But they used that little bit of oil in the midst of destruction. God's shown great mercy and gave them eight days of oil out of one day's oil of provision and it's known as a miracle or mercy in the midst of destruction today we see Israel now in 2019 how God has supernaturally kept that nation in the midst of destruction so this is the time we celebrate that whatever destruction or difficulty or loss we may have gone through God's mercy will shine bright even in the midst of what's going on in our lives so touch two or three people tell them God's light's going to keep shining in your life And so it's simply a time of thanksgiving and praise. And so I don't have a fancy uh, uh, you know, Hanukkah candle that, that we light, but we just simply light a candle because it's all about light. And so we just simply every night try to light a candle and say some type of prayer of, God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. And just remind ourselves that the light continues to shine even in the midst of darkness that we may walk through. And so it's a great idea just to add that to your Christmas season of lighting a candle each night for these next eight nights and celebrate the fact that God's mercy is abundant on our lives. But on the lines of Christmas, I love the Christmas season. I love Christmas movies. I started watching them a couple weeks ago. And I didn't realize for this is the 50th year in a row that Charlie Brown Christmas has aired. 50 years. That's a standing tradition. So I rewatched it and loved it. Now, of course, in this movie, Charlie is sad as normal, and he's looking for the meaning of Christmas. And of course, he's been tasked by Lucy to direct the Christmas play. And so, in the midst of this, Charlie Brown finding out what's going on about Christmas and hosting the Christmas play. Linus, the kid with the security blanket that the entire cast is trying to help him get rid of, takes center stage and delivers the message of the meaning of Christmas. Now, I talked about this, I think, about four years ago, but I didn't have the full understanding that I felt like Holy Spirit gave me, yes, even speaking through Charlie Brown's Christmas. Let's take a quick peek at what Linus had to say. Charlie Brown completely hopeless. Rats! You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> <laughs> what a treat! <laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Now, I watched it before, and there's hidden truths, actually, if you watch the movie. I I encourage you to go and watch it again this year. But the whole movie is a prophetic picture of the gospel. And what's interesting is, if you you miss this, when Linus is saying, fear not, is the first time he drops his security blanket. And he goes on, and he goes through the Christmas story with his... Security blanket laying on the floor because he's realized by revelation he doesn't have to fear anymore And so I had noticed that before but I was perplexed honestly because he picked it back up And goes back and tells charlie brown This is the meaning of christmas So I rewatched it looking for the truth of why did linus who supposedly had an understanding about christmas Drop his security blanket. And isn't it true most of us have moments of faith where we let go of stuff? We let go of fear. We let go of insecurity. We let go of rejection. We let go of anger. We let go of addiction. We let go of sinful habits. But we're also prone to pick them back up. We have great moments of faith, but then we have great moments of lack of faith. And so I was perplexed. How could this movie be telling us the truth about Christmas if Linus, in this moment of revelation, drops his blanket but picks it back up? Then I watched the movie. And I realized that that was not the end of the story. Because if you follow the story all the way to the end, you find something very interesting. You remember that little flimsy tree? that Charlie Brown had picked out, that the cast thought was foolish. Look at what happens at the end of the story, if I got that picture. We find Linus, at the end of the story, permanently laying down his blanket around that foolish tree. And he never picks it back up again. The cross, the tree, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. And the cross is the only place that we can permanently lay down our burdens and lay down our addictions and lay down our trials and lay down our insecurities and fear and fully follow Christ. Because the power of the cross demonstrates the power of God's love. Let me just show you a process of understanding this. Romans 5.8 says, But God clearly shows and proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the fact that while we were still sinners, God died for us, is the fact that God demonstrates his love, Romans 5, 6 says, in the fact that while we were without him, yet he died for us anyway. And so we realize we get a revelation of God's love and an understanding. 1 John 4, 18 says this then, if we get an understanding of the cross, there is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine judgment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love and has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. And I'm, and I'm persuaded in all of our lives, we need a deeper understanding of God's love, one that takes us past the point of God's judgment into the width of God's mercy. Because I've got good news. The cross was not about Jesus satisfying the wrath of God. The cross was about Jesus demonstrating the love of God and the depth in which he would travel to make sure that you and I are assured of the love of God in our life. Just touch three people, looking right in the eye and tell them, God loves you. Now, we say it, and we pray it, but we need to experience it. Paul prayed that you and I would experience this love. Ephesians 3.18, and that you may come to know practically through personal experience The love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience and that you may be filled up throughout your entire being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives being completely filled and flooded with God himself. I joined the prayer of the Apostle Paul this Christmas season and asked that we would all in a new and fresh way experience the depth, the height, the width, and to know the love of God that passes all understanding, no matter what you're going through or what you're facing, to know that God loves you in spite of yourself and anything or anybody else that's against us. And we're filled with the full fullness of God's love through experiencing it. And then become convinced, persuaded. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am convinced, and I continue to be convinced beyond any doubt. God just lead, God in some of his vast wisdom lets me keep experiencing difficulties and then he delivers me out of them and then he lets me get myself in a mess and I shouldn't have got in and I got myself into it and somehow he comes even in my mess and turns it into a message and he comes even in my trial and turns it into a trial and I just keep experiencing and what God wants you to do is keep experiencing his love until you become fully convinced Beyond any doubt that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will ever be able to separate you from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Touch two people, say, you can't separate me from it. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. And when we experience God's love and become convinced of it, then we begin to live Romans 5, 5. Then when that happens, it says, when we become convinced, persuaded, then when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens and know that all is well. For we know how dearly God loves us, and we feel his warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And our simple yet profound message this Christmas is that somehow by the grace of God this year, that we would come to a deeper level of truly understanding, being convinced and persuaded of God's love for us. And realizing that the cross was the greatest demonstration of his love and believing in that would be able somehow to let go, lose control, out of control and loving it, trusting That no matter what happens in your life, there is a God in heaven who is radically in love with you and is going to every depth needed to make sure you're fully persuaded and convinced and experiences his love on a continual basis. Not because we're good, but because we're his. I found the most amazing, staggering story that spoke so clearly to me this year about God's love. I'd like to share it with you just for a moment. The father writes, never dreamed that taking a child to Disney World could be so difficult. Or that such a trip could teach me so much about God's outrageous love. Our middle daughter had previously been adopted by another family. And I'm sure this couple had the best of intentions, but they never quite integrated the adopted child into their family of biological children. So after a couple of rough years, they dissolved the adoption. And we ended up welcoming this eight-year-old girl into our home. For one reason or another, whenever our daughter's previous family vacationed at Disney World, they took their biological children with them, but they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. Usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she did something terribly wrong that precluded her presence on the trip. So by the time we adopted our daughter, she had seen many pictures of Disney World. And she had heard about the rides and the characters and the parades. But when it came to passing through the gates of this magic kingdom, she had always been the one left on the outside. Once I found out about this story, of course, I made plans to take her to Disney World. As soon as my next speaking engagement took our family to the southeastern United States, I thought I had mastered the Disney World drill. I knew from previous experience that the prospect of seeing cast members in freakishly oversized mouse and duck costumes somehow turns children into squirming bundles of emotional instability. What I didn't expect was that the prospect of visiting this dream world would produce a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. And as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies multiplied. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk her through her latest escapade. I know what you're going to say, she stated flatly. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? The thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, but her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried and failed that test several times before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on earth. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed to admit that in that moment, I was tempted to turn her fear to my own advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you don't start behaving better, you're right, we won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded, brown eyes, wide and tear-rimmed. Are you part of this family? She nodded again. Then you're going with us. Sure, there may be some consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong, but you're part of our family, and we're not leaving you behind. Now, I'd like to say that her behaviors grew better after that moment. They didn't. Her choices pretty much spiraled out of control at every hotel and rest stop all the way to Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Still, we headed to Disney World. On the day we had promised, and it was a typical Disney day, overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, lots of lines, mingled with just enough manufactured magic To consider maybe going again someday. In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, and a little weepy at times. But her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and asked, So how was your first day at Disney World. She closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. After a few moments, she opened her eyes so ever slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That's the message of God's outrageous love for us. Outrageous love isn't a favor you can achieve by being good. It's the gift you receive by being God's. Outrageous love is God's goodness that comes looking for you when you have nothing but a middle finger flipped in the face of God to offer in return. It's a farmer paying a full day's wages to a crew of deadbeat day laborers with only a single hour punched on their time card. It's a man marrying an abandoned woman and then refusing to forsake his covenant with her when he finds out she's a prostitute. It's the insanity of a shepherd who puts 99 sheep at risk to rescue the single lamb that's just too stupid to stay with the flock. It's the love of a father who hands over his finest rings and robes to a young man who has squandered his entire inheritance on drunken binges with fair-weathered friends. You see, folks, it's a one-way love that calls me and you into his kingdom not because we've been good but because God has chosen us and made us his own and now he is chasing us to the ends of the earth to keep us as his children and nothing in heaven or hell can stop him from accomplishing that purpose in our life would you stand up with me this morning Our prayer simply this Christmas is that we would encounter the outrageous, embarrassing, audacity of God's unconditional love for us. And that because we finally are convinced of it, we would be willing to lay down what we've been hanging on to. That we know doesn't keep us anyway. And so whatever fear, whatever insecurity, whatever problem, whatever issue, whatever addiction, whatever sin, whatever bondage, whatever difficulty today, this Christmas season, we can leave it permanently at the foot of the cross. And unashamedly take on the gift of God's righteousness and walk in unusual favor and blessings this season, not because we're good but because we got a revelation of whose we belong to. We are part of the family of God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord one more hand of praise this morning? This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.